Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. And hello, and welcome to the next edition of Supply Chain Next. And I am super excited to have my guest here, Newt Alecki uh, from Germany on, on, on here. Hey, Newt. Hey, Richard. Hey, great to have you here. Thanks so much. And uh, we're just going to dive right in because uh, uh, the, the, the episode here is really, I'm, I'm really excited to, to chat with you today, um, given your background uh, in supply chain and what you've done. So uh, since I know a little bit, I'd love to start with just a, a little bit of, of, about you. Um, kind of how you got into supply chain, kind of give you know, the, the audience a little bit of an overview of uh, how you've even spent the last 18, 17 years at McKinsey and what got you into supply chain. Always fascinated to hear how you, how you fell into it. Super. Um, uh, and uh, happy to dive into it. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Uh, it's always good to talk about supply chain. Um, I think we share the passion for supply chain. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, how did I go get into supply chain? So 25 years ago, I um, I, I just finished my um, my studies in mechanical engineering, um, and um, basically my my master thesis was um, in um, on on plant layout planning, logistics planning. So I kind of um, touched base with um, um, logistics, hardware logistics, warehousing, and so on. I found this interesting and started my PhD. And um, this was on um, back then. I was um, looking into uh, hard optimization problems. So I did work on, um, let's say, um, multi-stage optimization or sequencing, um, which you have in warehouses um, uh, a lot. So that is that was interesting. Um, and I could also kind of work on, on, on different topics at, um, at university. Um, and there was um, one, today you would call it a startup. Back then we call it a spin-off. There were so two uh, colleagues from, from that institute did start a company probably five years before I joined um, the Institute. And um, they then got into um, discussions with, uh, with Hewlett Packard. And this is now really 25 years ago where um, they said, hey, look, we have this, this SAP system here in place. And um, SAP, they announced um, a new planning system called APO, but that is not yet released. And they said that it will be released in one or two years or so, but hey, we need to have something for our um, planners to support them. So um, could you help us, right? And they said, hey, yes, we help you all in, um, money back guarantee and everything. And uh, within six months did uh, develop um, a first version of uh, today you would call it a, a kind of an SNOP planning system, right? And that was quite interesting. So um, I joined that, that company and um, we we were then expanding in the in the HP network, um, and um, were at the end so well known that there was a, a study of a consulting company that looked into which um, planning systems do do they use in Hewlett Packard, and I found out that ah uh, it's not SAP, it's not I2 or so, it's this um, small company in Karlsruhe, Germany, called Icon, and um, they they were amazed that uh, it's the most used planning system in HP back then, right, like 20 years ago. Wow. Um, so we also developed into <clears throat> into automotive, and here we did also one very very um, um, today you would say really innovative and visionary system, and that was on on, on multi-tier transparency. 
So we had the um, the OEMs like Daimler and um, BMW. They struggled back then with uh, their leather chain supply chain. So that is kind of for the um, for the door panels. Um, you need leather, right? And that comes from South Africa, and it's a seven eight tier supply chain. And they had issues on the fourth tier, and uh, so they looked into it and said, "Hey, we need to have a monitoring system." So we developed the system where you with uh, with the web interface would basically see the supply chain and you would see inventory, you would see capacity, and you would have basically a bill of material that would go from the, let's say, first year supplier or OEM, all the way down to uh, South Africa. So that was quite innovative. Um, also these days in terms of risk management. Um, wow, can, can, can I jump in for a second? Because you, sure. you, 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 touched, <laughs> you touched on a bunch of things there that, that I find fascinating to really highlight, and two of which are the fact that you actually were in the process of creating technologies like early supply chain platforms. And the fact that, that at that time, the only, I'll call it, supply chain tool was co-opting the use of SAP or something like that, right? There wasn't a supply chain focus. So, you know, through necessity, you had to build something. But then you also were connecting the supply chain to see, create transparency in the actual assets as they moved in. Like, what was the focus of that time? Like, this has got to be in the, I guess, late 80s, early 90s or mid 90s, right? So your early internet, you know, IoT is not really there. Like, what, what could you actually see and do? Or how did you get data into those systems? So, so it was it was a little bit later. So um, okay. it was um, in the, in the uh, late 90s, um, okay. early 2000. Okay. Um, and um, indeed, back then, um, um, kind of the most the, the, the most innovative part of, a, of an automotive supplier would be uh, to have web EDI, right? Before they had kind of EDI implemented and everyone was super happy. And now we, we came and it was kind of, it's interesting uh, what kind of innovation you kind of push through if there's a real issue to be solved. Right. And so the real issue was that um, both for Daimler and BMW, they had line stoppages, right? So they had really um, um, a non-available part. And with this, they could not produce. And with this, there's a lot of pressure on the supply chain because that's enormous costs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, with this, they basically put this pressure on their first year, second year, and so on and so on. So we, we literally had, um, in the beginning, we had just flat file text exchange. So there was wow. no fancy connection of, hey, I plug my SAP system into your planning system. It right. was, hey, this is the data we need. Um, download it on a daily basis. There clearly were scripts and it was all automated. Send it uh, via a secure connection. Upload it into the system and then do the planning and do the visualization, which basically wow. showed that, um, hey, here in that case, you are red. So something is going on. Um, and if this is on fifth tier, then we know exactly that it, there is still some inventory in the in the supply chain. So mm -hmm. we can react, we can call the, the fifth year, we can offer help. Um, we don't wait that it propagates through the first year where everything is too late because they are in just in time and just in sequence with, uh, with the OEM. So is it is it fair to say at that time, the problem you're trying, or I, I guess, because you said it there, and I'm just sort of re-saying this, but at the time, the problem you were trying to solve was to create transparency around the supply chain with an emphasis on existing data, right? Meaning kind of, you know, what's moving through the system and, and, and looking for constraints in the system, kind of the whole lean Toyota thing, because you're talking about layers and where the constraints are and how to unblock those. I mean, how, 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 you know, what was the approach? 
Exactly. So, and and the and, and the challenges, or let's say the constraints, were um, uh, capacity and uh, right. lack of capacity, leading to shortage in inventory. Got it. Um, so it's it's it, it sounds simple, right? It's uh, we just <laughs> need to have capacity, but come on, if if something goes wrong and um, and you you have your system set up in a more just in time way right. over multiple tiers, then uh, within weeks um, you have no inventory left, and um, and then yeah. it's a problem. It's also interesting to see that um, back then exactly the same happened like we had now last year in COVID because um, no one would really communicate. So the first year would run out of inventory because the second year had no inventory, third year had no inventory and so on. Right. To ramp up the system again takes a while. So you cannot just say, hey, now everything has capacity, everyone has capacity, but you need to produce, you need to transport, the next year you need to produce, you need to transport. So it just takes a couple of days and weeks. It's and in that in that system, and then, sorry, because it's, <laughs> it's hard when you get a couple people who are geeked out on supply chain because we can dive into the details so quickly. But I'm fascinated here because you're describing also what 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 I would I would personally categorize as sort of the first phase of supply chain optimization, which was really your sort of demand planning, right? Because everything you've mentioned was about how do I ensure I have no shortage of supply with my demand going up. It's not really about inventory optimization necessarily at this, that's like a different phase. Like then it was really just trying to kind of meet demand. That was the simple step one, you know, how much demand do I have? I never want to have a shortage of supply. Is that sort of a fair, simple way of looking at it? That's uh, that's fair. And um, the, the the demand plan, um, that was something that the, uh, the, the OEMs did provide and right. um, that was not something that uh, we had to forecast, so to say, right? Today you would do demand sensing and you would um, use machine learning and all that stuff to to uh, predict. And back then it was that, hey, um, this is our plan to produce um, from an OEM. And this is then kind of transferred into the supply chain and calculated down the, the different tiers. On inventory optimization, that's a, that's a very important point. Um, <clears throat> so we... The, first, the transparency helps. And then uh, in the second step, we said that, hey, let's also now have a, a little bit of a healthy logic where we said that, hey, clearly, if we are short, then it's red. Mm -hmm. Then there is a certain area where it's green. And then if we have excess, that's also not good. Let's show it yellow, right? right. So here also kind of optimizing the inventory on a multi-tier system um, and with this then being able to control. So at the end, it's also interesting, by the way, that some of the small suppliers um, did take this very simple system to plan their production because they said, hey, the demand we get with your system is much better than we, we get from our direct uh, customer. So wow. they use that to, to plan their production. So, so this sounds like, and, and maybe, maybe I'm missing something here, but sounds like you had the early version of a supply chain platform. So you should be retired by now because uh, that solved the world. <laughs> Yes. What happened? What happened to that? We were we were all super proud, even <laughs> kind of logistic award-winning system and so on. But then what happened is also very interesting. Um, so um, after I think after one or two years, and then we we by the way we also expanded into back then there was also shortage on chips. And guess what? Today we have a semiconductor shortage, right? Right. Um, so that was all good um, to um, to use the system, and then. Um, clearly, problems are solved. Capacity is increased, and there was no shortage anymore. And if right. you don't have a shortage, you don't need such a system, right? Because transparency only helps if there is an if there is an issue. 
And it's very interesting that we now have exactly the same discussions with our clients. Now, speaking about COVID, right? So where you have um, a lot of risk mitigation levers and you evaluate that and that might be double sourcing, that might be increasing capacity, agility, investing in inventory, a lot of different things, but that all comes at a certain cost. Mm-hmm. And people say, show me the business case. And um, look, the business cases, there might be something, there might be a disruption in the next year where you really, really need this. But it might also mm-hmm. be that this disruption does not happen. So the probability of disruption is often uh, is low. We did show um, with our McKinsey Global Institute, we did um, show that um, in the last decade, we had like every three to four years, we had a major disruption, right? So it's kind mm-hmm. of getting higher frequent, but people still don't don't get it that they need to prepare for the unknown. Mm-hmm. And this is where, um, and exactly that, the same happened like 20 years ago with this transparency system, um, where people said, hey, hmm, it's, it's working fine, I don't need it, right? I don't need it just in case. And that's why, honestly, it was not, um, used in the automotive industry anymore. It was then used in other industries like um, electronics and uh, consumer electronics where they have more smaller disruptions and the supply chains are not as complex as an automotive, but still it's good to have a bit of transparency to your second tier supplier, for example. Sure, sure. So you, okay, so so I'm going to get off the early stage here because like I said, we can geek out on this. So, all right, so we're, we're sort of in the uh, early 2000s, we've had the internet crash. You are pioneering a technology that should have made you a gazillionaire, but uh, may may have <laughs> may have may may have kind of you know slipped through the cracks. As many technologies were a little bit early at the time, because you know getting these large institutions and large enterprises that you're dealing with, you know it's hard to get change, even even now, right? And and we'll get to that. But uh, so. You 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 left the technology world and joined a McKinsey. That that's a fairly big transition. Um, how did that happen? Um, that's a very interesting transition, exactly. And uh, it it honestly happened by coincidence. Okay. So um, a, a colleague in in McKinsey who who was basically then managing the supply chain practice and running the supply chain practice, um, he's still with McKinsey. And um, I, I did I did write a book on supply chain, right? That was yeah. my in Germany to become a professor. You need to do the second thesis, this habilitation. Okay. And he did read that book, and he literally approached me saying that, "Hey, that was a great book, or that is a great book. Why don't you join McKinsey?" Yeah. And I was, hmm. But <laughs> I'm in supply chain. I'm in I'm I'm in tech. I'm in logistics. I'm in warehousing. So, um, what does McKinsey do there? And then I had to to learn that hey, the the largest growing practice in McKinsey is operations. There's a lot of practical work, right? And I find this very interesting. So uh, we, we had some discussions, and so um, I joined in in, in 2004, and um, and since then enjoying it because indeed, <laughs> um, again growing a practice, right? When I, when I joined my last company, um, I was number six, and when I mm-hmm. left, it was uh, 80 people. When I joined McKinsey, I again was number six for the supply wow. chain practice, um, wow. and now we are at a at a, a much much higher number. So. Um, reaching um, 80, 90, right? Yeah. In, wow. in, in Europe only, uh, worldwide, yeah. we're much more uh, in supply chain. Um, so, and since then, basically pushing um, um, the supply chain agenda, clearly helping clients in improving their supply chain, in planning, um, but also in physical flow. Um, I'm always looking for latest and greatest innovations in digital. So how mm-hmm. can robotics help? Um, how can uh, machine learning help um, to plan better? Um, then also topics of how do I um, implement change, which is super interesting in supply chain, right? When I talk to my clients, I often ask them whether they set aside 
um, a, a marketing budget for supply chain to explain mm -hmm. what supply chain is. Because right. what often happens is that supply chain geeks, like, like we are, we love to talk about our numbers, right? Hey, yeah. I increased our truck utilization by 1.5%. Isn't that great? And in sales, no one understands that. Right? <laughs> so we need to kind of um, up our message or make it simpler and, um, and relate to other um, um, functions. Um, so I asked them, hey, do you set aside some budget for communication and marketing of your supply chain? And um, people find it uh, very interesting, but still um, there needs to be some work that to be done in how do I explain my supply chain so that the board and salespeople understand it. Well, and so you touched on, again, uh, another thing here. So uh, fascinating to get, well, let me, let me go back and rephrase this question. So you're in the technology kind of vanguard, you know, looking at supply chain, supply chain solutions, when at that time, and I don't know if you remember, there was an internet company that was relatively big called Commerce One um, back in sort of 2000, but then they flamed out <clears throat> like everyone else did, uh, you know, kind of early 2000s. So you were very much at the forefront of kind of introducing technology in the supply chains. Then you joined McKinsey, where you have a 16-year kind of view now of pretty much the Fortune 100, let's say, uh, maybe, you know, expanded to Fortune 250s. So a unique perspective of the biggest supply chains in the world. And, and we always talk about the top 2000 and they, you know, control pretty much the entire world supply chain if you really want to go down that road. So you've seen this evolution and yet it's almost like we're catching up to where you were already back in 2000 here in 2021 with the technology adoption. So the question yeah. here is a meandering one, which is the trends that you've seen at McKinsey, like you go in with this incredible technology background, you're a supply chain geek already, you're probably 19 years ahead of where supply chain enthusiasm starts hitting a, a peak <laughs> in the last year or two. So what have you seen and watched as the world sort of caught up to where you already were 20 years ago? What, what have you witnessed within the enterprises, not just marketing and explaining supply chain, clearly we've had to educate, but throughout that whole time must have seen some amazing trends. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that, that, that you mentioned it. It's, uh, it, it's indeed that um, when, when, I, when we did this work for, for Eula Packard, and there, there, was, there was a lot of stuff that we, that we did in terms of, we could navigate a bill of material, we could navigate a supply chain, we could kind of do pegging up and down, we could do something like a, a, a hard roll, we called it, or a soft roll, where you could replace something on a date or just use it up. Or so, so pretty advanced stuff, right? And this, not with um, kind of small numbers. So there was a, a, a real global supply chain, thousands mm -hmm. of products, thousands of orders, and so on. So really, really complex thing. And I thought, look, this is all possible. So probably um, the, um, it, it's done, right? So the, the problem is solved. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it probably takes another five years and then everyone has these systems. Um, then kind of joining McKinsey and, and honestly, in, in Hewlett Packard, they were very advanced in terms of understanding the end to end idea, right? Working together, um, implementing postponement and so on and having this integrated planning layer and everything. Then kind of um, joining, let's say, the rest of the world. Um, right. And you understand that, hey, yes, technology is available. But people are not available. Uh, they're not ready. So basically, um, the capability need to be built. Their incentives are local. So they, there's no way that you can kind of have them working together. Um, often the organizational setup is not ready. So you have a lot of companies where supply chain was um, kind of logistics. And then they found, hey, supply chain sounds more 
more advanced. So they just renamed the logistics manager, still working only on physical flow, not in planning, a supply chain manager, right? right? So often in early discussions, you then figure out that, hmm, there is no end-to-end -end planning. There is no end-to-end -end understanding. And this is what I now see kind of that um, people start to get more and more, but it's still a long way, right? And supply chain is, an, is a new topic. It, it's not something like manufacturing that exists for, for decades. Supply chain mm -hmm. is still kind of, let's say, 20, 30 years old. Um, and there is still a long, a long way to go. Um, so um, it, it's interesting in this, in this last 16 years, um, I, I feel that um, I worked a lot on really the, the soft side of supply chain to, to explain, to implement, to align incentives, to set up organizations, to transform, clearly always with, 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 this, with this tech angle to think about what is possible if we have more data available, we have better algorithms, what can we do better, how can we collaborate better, um, but a lot in really getting things done in terms of transformation. Right. So, 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 uh, great, great observation too. That that you know, and again, distilling down, supply chain for the longest time has just clearly been misunderstood as either logistics or procurement, and not as you say, end to end. So, let me ask sort of an interesting question here: Is when you think about end to end supply chains, here we are sitting in 2021. What does that mean to you, and what should that mean to your clients? True end to end. So it, it means that we that we start, um, let's say Amazon put this customer centricity, right? So we start right. with the customer. Um, based, based on the customer, we work customer back. So yep. we understand the demand. That's all the, the great stuff in demand sensing, uh, artificial intelligence to, to predict the demand. And, sure. and then you take this into your end-to-end -end planning process, which is basically, hey, we have a demand, we agree on that. And that is done together with commercial. So very, very important that we have this agreement that is often mm -hmm. missed, right? Then we basically, um, if, if it's a manufacturing environment and not retail, um, then we do the supply planning. Um, mm -hmm. So we look into production and that might be uh, a, a complex network. Right? We see what is possible. We aggregate, we have a, a clear view, and then we bring it together and we do scenario planning. And then we decide, hey, what do we need to do? Right. That is on planning. But then in terms of end-to-end, -end, it's also going to the supplier. It's yep. um, it's working together with the supplier. It's collaboration with the supplier. It might be a simple VMI setup. It might be something that is beyond that, where we even have this, an, an important supplier sitting at our desk and um, basically being part of the supply um, planning team. And same with the customer, right? So it's really from customer to supplier um, in um, planning and then in physical flow clearly as well. Right. So, so and let me ask, does, does your definition begin to expand Expand, and this is sort of a, 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 a hit, there's a hidden agenda to my question here. Um, does your vision of end-to-end -end expand a little bit now, both because the technology is available, one, two, sustainability is now one of the top topics within supply chain, and three, do you now consider and include past the supplier to the actual natural resources themselves, since that's really the beginning of anything created new, and there's a question 3A hidden in here, which is if you do go all the way back to natural resources, then how do you begin to look at the circularity and reuse of assets or things as they kind of you know, come out of the supply chains? Because end to end now through technology, we can actually see 
a lot more than we could, uh, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. And so it may, it, the definition may change and, and may get bigger. It may be, you know, so the, let me stop. <laughs> There's a lot there. Uh, exactly. So, so, so end to end, how I explain end to end is kind of a flow, right? It's yeah. The physical flow starts from the supplier, goes to the customer. The information flow is the other way around. So right. this is kind of, um, um, the kind of a definitions in whatever 30 years. And, and you're absolutely right that, um, um, if we now kind of, um, um, do the circle, then, then we have the circular economy, right? And this is what, what our clients are also starting to look more and more into. So how can we reuse it? Right. What is the return flow? How can we have the return flow from us also to our supplier? Right. And that is quite interesting. So it's basically, um, the last decade was a lot on digital. I guess that the next decade will a lot be on sustainability, circularity whatsoever. Um, so there, there is, there is, um, a, a new topic around, um, that people are interested, um, which is not, not only supply chain, very clear. So there's right. a lot of other topics as well. So manufacturing has a very important part of it. Procurement, uh, ethical sourcing is very, very important. So there, there is a lot of topics in there. Um, but clearly supply chain is still the, um, I would say the frame, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and covers and covers all of this and brings it together. Right. So, 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 okay. So the, the, the definition of end to end is now getting to the point where we're actually thinking the full context of, you know, when I'm pulling copper out of the ground to when it's produced into something that may turn into a computer chip or something like that, or sand or, you know, whatever it is. Now let's shift a little bit into the technology side of it. Since you started your career driving technology in the supply chain, then you've gotten this incredible 16 years where you get to see some of the biggest supply chains in the world and advise them not only in just how to define supply chain, but, you know, increase, make supply chain sexy, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> raise the awareness around it, uh, uh, since, since people often don't know what it is, even though it's the most important thing in the in, in within the business usually. Um, but and in, in you're a prolific writer as well around the topics of you know IoT, blockchain. You've already mentioned machine learning. AI is going to be hidden in there. A lot of buzzwords, right? So how do how do you cut through the buzzwords to really talk to people about what technology, what relevant technologies are there? And how do you even get them started, especially when you're dealing with some of these companies that probably have a hodgepodge of investments? Usually these technologies they've invested in are in silos. They're not connected. They're not system-wide. I mean, you know, just, just the initial baselining of a large enterprise is probably complex enough to figure out what they have that could be reused, right? So, so what technology, you know, again, I, I can go off and on here, but what technologies and how do you kind of talk to people about what technologies are relevant today and to begin yeah. the process of starting that digital transformation or foundation building. Yeah. Um, so the first of all, it's super important to understand the technology, right? And this right. is what I always try to do. So not only talking about saying that, ah, you need to have this artificial intelligence thing and that then it will do magic and um, it will right. improve. So you need to understand really what's inside. And um, warehouse automation, right? A lot of people talk about this um, when Amazon bought Kiva, like, uh, mm -hmm nine years ago, um, everyone was looking into this, but how is it really helping? Um, how is it making our um, processes more efficient? And it might be that it's not uh, increasing efficiency now. It might be that it takes a while to implement, but at some point in time, it, it, it should uh, clearly pay back. So understand it, understand it in detail and, and, and understand it. Why is it useful for the business? And this is where I, I always struggle with blockchain um, uh, to an extent that it was like Four, three or four years ago, where um, I and the, and the group of colleagues said that, hey, look, <clears throat> blockchain is completely overhyped. It's mm -hmm. like the RFID um, 20 years ago. 
where mm -hmm. everyone said that, look, RFID will be, every, every product will have an RFID chip. And guess, guess what today? That's just not the case, right? RFID right. as a technology is interesting and makes sense, but it's not at, at, at all widespread. So right. um, we looked into blockchain and uh, tried to understand kind of what is the benefit for supply chain. Technology is interesting. It's currently way too expensive that it can replace anything like a well set up EDI connection, right? Just mm -hmm. doesn't make yep. sense. Yep. Um, for smart contracts, at some point in time, it might be interesting, but the the, the environment is not yet there. So um, need to understand it. But at some point in time, um, we will also see blockchain um, applications. Um, but this mm -hmm. is where, where then also it's interesting if you talking to my to my clients, a lot of them like two years ago asked, hey, my CEO asked me to look into blockchain. And I'm <laughs> not so sure, Does, is it really helpful? And I'm like, look, we wrote this article and that's why it doesn't make sense today. It might make sense in the future. And they, right. I'm so lucky <laughs> that you said right. um, I can use it immediately. So with all technologies, you need to understand um, how it is, but only use the buzzwords, um, but then um, make sense out of it. And um, if, if there is a business case, right, then look into it, then apply it, um, and, then, and then also scale it. Yep. We looked into, um, we do some work with, uh, with the World Economic Forum on, on, on lighthouses that started in plants, but then now also we look into end-to-end um, -end supply chains, mm -hmm. where we have this lighthouse network of companies that do pretty well in IoT and everything. Mm -hmm. And here we also found that there's a lot of companies that are piloting a lot of stuff, right? People say that um, their company has more pilots than Lufthansa, um, ah. but they're not scaling. And, um, and this is the problem. Um, it's just kind of, it feels like we are trying out, right? Um, so um, you need to kind of find the, um, the cases and then you need to scale or because right. only then you have the benefit. So, so uh, a number of things there, and I think you and I are on the same page and I'm a huge blockchain um, uh, 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 fanatic, if you will, but then also uh, big in crypto. And crypto obviously is the real use case of blockchain. Blockchain has been hunting ever since to find another use case and hasn't quite found it yet. And in the world of supply chain, totally agreed, blockchain's just not quite there yet. It, it will at some point when, when we need very simply a uh, uh, hosted database that um, through third-party authentication or third-party data verification, you know, pretty much make, maintains data integrity. Um, that's the blockchain use. That's, that's, that's what we're searching for is how to put that in place somewhere, right? It's just not there yet. Uh, but then also there's a number of other technologies, you know, that you, we talk about AI, machine learning and stuff like that. So let me go back to sort of the basic question, which is, you know, how do you approach someone like a Ford or a BMW or a, you know, a, a Lufthansa for that matter, and even begin to start the process of digitization? Like that's just got to be, especially at these levels, because most of the people, you know, again, you have a perspective that you get to see where some of the biggest companies in the world who have the biggest supply chains and, and the biggest budgets can really go after this stuff. Yet, I think it's very instructive for a lot of people to hear that the supply chains aren't as organized as people think they might be, right? Um, it might not be as efficient as you think it is. Like you fly in that Lufthansa plane and take for granted that thing's a beautiful flight, but how it got there isn't as clean and organized as you might imagine, right? So, so what's sort of the, uh, let me ask it in a way, what's sort of the most surprising thing that you see with some of these big supply chains, right? And then 
what do you begin to sort of get them in that path towards digitization? Because a lot of people that are small to mid-sized businesses or enterprise, I think will take comfort knowing that they're not alone. <laughs> Some of the challenges that are out there. Exactly. And, and, and this, this type of discussions we had, we had a lot over the last years. So not necessarily during COVID, but let's say the, the two, three years before. Um, and it's quite interesting if you think about what happened. So a lot of companies jumped on the, on the digital, digital, um, um, training. And uh, they hired a bunch of data scientists and um, kind of put them into a corner and said, hey, do cool stuff, right? And the data scientists, they did cool stuff, but it was not linked to the business. So after half a year, they were frustrated. The data scientists, they, they left and joined Amazon and, and Google. And the company said, ah, it does not really help. So right. what, we, what we did is um, a couple of things. Um, first of all, we, we also hired a bunch of data scientists. We have now right. more than a thousand data scientists. And we had the same struggle. So we implemented translator trainings where we said, hey, um, the, let's say the classical consulting and the data scientists, they don't understand each other. So we need to translate. Mm -hmm. Same we need to do with companies. Successful mm -hmm. companies with, with digital, they have these translators and data scientists are always embedded into um, maybe a kind of a small part of an organization, but they're embedded mm -hmm. into an organization. And mm -hmm. then they can kind of try out stuff. And then very, very important, the business is necessary then to scale, right? Because the data scientist might say that, okay, I now did my cool analysis and I'm done, right? right. I want to do this one. But then the the um, the real fun starts because now you, you scale it from planning 10 SKUs to 100,000 SKUs. And right. this is where the impact is. So you right. need to scale. And and this is this is true for physical flow. This is true for planning. This is true for um, for everything. Um, and then we, we, we often connected, um, let's say, more traditional companies with, with startups. Mm. That is quite enlightening to just talk to these people. So we have very good relation for, with the e-commerce player Zalando, for example, in, in, in Europe. Sure. Um, and um, we connected them with, a, with their kind of head of warehousing, head of tech, head of planning um, to, to discuss how do you do that? How, how do you create a tech organization? Because that's what most kind of uh, traditional organizations lack, right? So they, yep. they do not see themselves as tech or tech as the enabler um, to, to do good for the customer. It's just something that you can kind of source from some tech companies and then it's, it's there. Though that's also kind of an understanding. So the, this fast fail culture, for example, right? right. You try out things and if it's not working, then, hey, let's investigate why it wasn't working and then let's um, try it again right. and try it again, right? This is a complete culture shift. And I feel that um, a lot of the big companies started with this and also have um, good applications, but it's still a long way to transition, uh, let's say, whatever, 20%, 30% of the company, not, not everyone needs to transition, but to transition um, these guys to this, to this new, um, new setup. It's interesting. If there, there was a there was an, an article um, by the by the former CEO of Daimler, Dieter Zetscher, who said like I think four years ago he wants to transform his organization and he wants to have only two or three hierarchical levels, right? Right. Not all the levels they have currently, um, and that was super innovative. Guess what? They're still implementing, right? So it, yeah. it's also you cannot you cannot just change the tanker. Um, in, right. in four weeks, uh, very, 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 very clear. Um, so making sure that you know, we have translators, try out fast fail and um, make sure that you kind of aim for a tech um, mindset um, to push innovations. 
And so, so I'm going to connect the dots too, because you also wrote an interesting piece uh, with a couple colleagues about six or seven years ago uh, about the DNA of supply chain executives, right? And in that, you talk a lot about the um, you know, how supply chain executives, just like you said, kind of usually came out of logistics or maybe procurement. And that's a pretty, that's a piece of supply chain, but the real DNA has to be a lot more cross-functional, almost, almost like a, you know, a mini CEO running a business within the business, right? They have to have marketing, sales, finance, uh, you know, it can't be just, you know, I know how to do uh, uh, long lead planning and stuff like that, you know, in supply chain, I actually have to understand the whole business, I have to understand customers, I have to understand demand. So the question I'm headed towards is now with technology, being so much front and focused, how do you revisit that article from six years ago and, and bring it current? I don't think, you know, some things are exactly the same, but it may have changed a little bit. So what does the DNA of a supply chain professional look like today from your perspective? What are, what are these organizations looking for? Yeah, that, that, that's an interesting question. And we, we clearly look into what is the future of work in supply chain? Right. Um, so there has been done a lot of work in manufacturing where you have all automation and so on, but what is it in supply chain? And um, there is there is clearly all the all these digital tools need to be used. So you would will have um, not only a demand planner, you will have a data scientist that um, is managing the algorithm, so to say, and the demand planner connects it and in his translator function to the market and to the commercial people. Mm-hmm. Right? Same you have, for example, in order management, where you have people kind of setting up the robotic process automation, um, and then uh, most is automated, right? So. There is there is a need to be um, to be curious about digital, to be curious about innovation, um, and then uh, try it out. Um, and um, also to to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm now kind of um, 53, so I'm considering myself as as the older, um, but making sure that uh, you stay young, right? So you stay right. curious because right. what we often see is that. Um, there is planners kind of 30 years in the company, supply chain managers 30 years in the company, and they kind of know a lot, right? But not necessarily this the, the stuff that the young people know. So right. he, uh, for, for example, reverse mentoring helps a lot, right? Team up with, uh, with a young colleague and, uh, hey, explain me how that works. Um, why not starting a course on Python, on, on mm-hmm. R? Just yep. kind of get sent on, um, on uh, what is possible, what is not possible. That helps everyone, right? So you need to be curious, um, and um, and this would be the, the the additional element to our DNA article <clears throat> um, to make it successful. Um, and then also, as we said in the article, make sure that there is also a career path for um, um, a supply chain manager to reach board level, right? So right. Jim Cook, the the CEO of Apple, used to work um, to turn around the supply chain of Apple, right? So so he is kind of one of these examples where this happens. But there's still a lot of companies where, where this does not happen, where supply chain is kind of this geeky corner um, where uh, you often are stuck. And this really yep. doesn't. Yep. Well, I'm glad you brought up Tim Cook is always one of my uh, uh, poster children, if you will, for when supply chain executives start to lead companies. Right. Um, you know, and what, what, what the art of the possible is. But I'm also going to go back to, because you also touched on a couple of things. So in your backyard, uh, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but it was the CEO, I think it was BMW, uh, I want to say about 10 years ago, uh, or not that long, maybe seven years ago, made that very controversial statement that, uh, you know, BMW is no longer a car company, but a tech company, right? Um, and that, that was, a, I think it was BMW, right? I think it was uh, that CEO at the time. Yeah, it might be. 
I, I don't know exactly what it might be. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, and I just can't remember his name. But then I was going to point out another interesting thing to keep, again, if you're looking at trends, is uh, my former uh, CEO when I used to be at eBay, a guy named John Donahoe, has uh, now been tapped to be the CEO of Nike. So how do you see the trade? I mean, so, I mean, I have my obvious opinion on this one, but I think that to me feels like one of the trends that we're going to start to see is some, as you put it, it's not that you have to be a technologist. You don't need to be a database engineer, you know, to, to, to run an organization. But as you put it very appropriately, you have to be friendly or curious about technology. And better yet, you probably should have or should have some experience in managing technology innovation within your company. And if you can bring that skill to a larger supply chain organization, that's going to benefit everybody. And we're starting to see that again, example, John Donahoe at Nike. Well, I mean, clearly the, the writing's on the wall. Nike sees the future in becoming more of a technology company and platform that sells clothing, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. And that's happening quite a bit. So are you, are you also seeing that as well? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So, um, and and it really it really helps uh, if if you think if you stay with this with this Nike example, um, you think about all the developments on omni-channel. So let's let's yeah. look into before COVID and in COVID it also helped a lot. Um, so um, from the from the um, from the warehouse to the to the shop, that is kind of super simple, right? Yeah. You plan your inventory, um, you get your forecast right, you deliver, and it's in the stores, and and then it, everything is fine. Now with Omnichannel, you kind of open up um, um, e-commerce, you open up returns and um, you buy something online, you return it in the store, you buy it in the store, you return online. So there's a lot of complexity added to this. And mm -hmm. this, this complexity typically can be managed by tech. And yep. um, th that's why you, you need to have this, uh, this tech savvy people. And it's also important that you, what, what we see often in, um, and this is kind of now specifically for supply chain, if you think about an, uh, an IT system, um, and that might be um, whatever, an SAP system, it might be an 09 system whatsoever, and that is implemented, um, that is also hugely complex. And often people don't understand the, all the technology. So there are, um, um, let's say, it, it's often um, taken much longer. Um, it's kind of over budget and un under impact, so to say, um, mm -hmm. because, because people are not able to challenge what is necessary, what is not necessary. So mm -hmm. here, if you have this tech savviness, if you have experience in, 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 in Agile, uh, if you do that in sprints, that helps you a lot to be much more successful, faster um, in implementing these things. And then you can also kind of even push the IT company to, to innovate, right? So you're not following. You can say, hey, I want to have this and this and this, which is, by the way, the reason why a lot of the e-commerce companies, they don't have their planning system from one of the big vendors. It's kind of homegrown, right? Yes, um, yes. Homegrown um, um, warehouse management system, right? When I had a couple of discussions with my my former colleagues uh, at Zalando when they started this like eight, ten years ago, I was like, "Are you crazy? Why are you developing a warehouse management system, such a standard?" And they, "Hey, very simple, because no warehouse management system has a real-time connectivity of the shop to the shelf of the right. warehouse." Right. And because of this, we need to develop this. And guess what? Right. It was exactly the right choice because now there's so much more advanced than any. Uh, existing warehouse management system is just amazing what you can what you can do in terms of efficiency of your processes right so so oh boy you you <laughs> we're not gonna have enough time but you just open the door on something that gets me really excited which is what, what you just described necessity is the mother of all invention right um, meaning in this case the existing technologies that were 
you know, uh, earmarked for supply chain in the last, say, 10, 15 years, um, they weren't necessarily supply chain tools or built for supply chain, in my opinion. They were oftentimes financial tools that were co-opted or just, you know, supply chain, you need to use this, right? Um, but they were never actually built for supply chain practitioners. Therefore, you were forced to build something on your own because nothing existed out there. Now, fast forward to where we are today. Now you've got a bunch of innovation that's happened, right? And this is the build versus buy. So you, you by necessity had to build something internally. You instinctively kind of you know, knew to do that. But the world's now changing because there's a lot of new technology for supply chain that's showing up. And I'm sure you're seeing this, right? There's a huge push now in supply chain technologies, I would say in the last two, three, four years. A lot of them might even be companies that spun out of these existing enterprises that decided, oh my gosh, I just built something that everyone else can use. So yes. what are you seeing in that, in that trend? So it's, so I, I, I agree. Um, if, we, if we also look into with what um, money, what private equity money and kind of institutional investors did flow into the software companies, it feels like a hype over the last two years, right? right. So these companies are flooded with money, uh, which is good because then they can implement all of, or develop all of these cool innovations. Right. Um, so this is something, and then we have a lot more startups. And exactly as you said, hey, uh, we developed something um, in a company context or really uh, uh, from university and then and, and now we are scaling. Um, also interesting to look into um, what, um, what now Google and Amazon and these guys do with their platforms, right? So they kind of say, hey, we have pretty cool algorithms, right? So we develop them on our own, and now we make it available for um, for our customers, so to say, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so why mm -hmm. don't you leverage this? Mm -hmm. That I found interesting because it's not an integrated system. It also requires that someone who wants to use that needs to have proper people that can use that algorithm because it does not come as a one-stop shop. It comes as, hey, here's a specific machine learning algorithm that predicts your demand for this specific group of customers whatsoever, but you need to include it into your um, overall um, demand planning um, process. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. quite interesting. Then the whole the whole um, um, push towards cloud, I found also yeah. super interesting. If you think what happens is that before we had um, systems that were, um, they had an upgrade every two years, right? There was a lot of testing done and so on. Now with cloud, and um, if it's really like an app, it might be upgraded every week, every four weeks but we have much more users of this more or less standard system. Um, so this whole kind of specially or, or, or specifically developed extensions for your uh, application is not possible anymore, right? So right. maybe we see also a little bit of a standardization in supply chain. Maybe even something where um, if you think about lean, right? So everyone took the lean idea and implemented it. Everyone right. now has a production system based on the Toyota production system that right. does not exist for supply chain. Right. We have the score model. We have uh, the score model is super high level, but it lacks the detail, right? So maybe right. there's something where the cloud pushes us towards more a standard operating system for supply chain, right? Which so, um, will be super interesting. You're speaking my language now, uh, boy. You're getting getting now. I, I, I literally am looking at the clock, realizing I could spend the next four hours with you talking about this topic. So, 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 all right. So inherent in that then is a, a number of things. One is if we start if the world starts moving to common i'm going to call them platforms then one of the benefits is we start to you know create economies of scale by everyone using a similar system number one and number two you also create standardization 
So I'm going with this question is, in your experience and looking at that, can the world, the world's supply chains live on common platforms? Is there enough commonality across different industries? So I think that's one of the questions that people always have is like, oh, the automotive supply chain is so different from, say, the pharmaceutical supply chain. Well, sure, the products are different, but is the supply chain and are the supply chain processes and best practices truly that different? Yes, and and, and that, that is a that is a very good question and good push. So um, th there is there is elements which are exactly the same. So um, if you if you want to optimize your inventory, you optimize your inventory. And if this right. is now an API in pharma, or whether this is a component in automotive, or whether this is whatever uh, a chemical product or um, or whatever heavy machinery product, um, if you plan your demand, this is this is where it's a little bit different. If you are B two C, you have much more data available. Right. And um, if you are in pharma, then you have uh, tenders. Tenders yeah. is completely different from relatively stable demand. Yeah. But then you could basically say that, hey, look, we have this repository of algorithms and we have people who can kind of select the right ones. Right. And uh, the platform would um, then provide the repository. Right. So you have whatever this 100 different algorithms and the pharma guys might choose between these two, these 20. And the automotive guys, uh, another 20, and maybe kind of some work for, for everyone. So yeah. you need to still understand. Um, so you cannot just press the button and, <laughs> and magic happens. Right. You need to understand it. Um, but um, with, this, with this cloud and platform, I feel that there, there, is, um, there is a lot to gain. Um, and there is also a lot of, um, let's say, benefit from the, from the community where you exchange on what does work, what, do, what does not work. Kaggle is, Kaggle is a good example, right? Where you can kind of upload a, a forecasting challenge and then hundreds of data scientists compete on this. And guess right. what? You get the wisdom of the crowd to solve your problem, right? And this, right. this, this is going to, going to happen. Right. Is it going to be a super standardized um, um, operating model? No, no way. Right. Supply chain is too complex for that. Um, but the foundation um, um, will, be, will be delivered by this platform. Right. Well, let me let me let me take a few. So we just got a few minutes left here, and I, I definitely want to give because always always uh, fat. I mean, a just fascinating. And like I said, I, 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 with all these things, I could spend hours <laughs> talking about this stuff because it's it's so it's so timely. It's so right now. Um, but we're coming out of an injury. I mean, we're obviously coming out of a pandemic. Uh, we've had COVID, but even before COVID, there was a lot of uh, enthusiasm around building around supply chain. I'm sure you saw it in your clients. I mean, you know, it it it, it just you know we're coming into what we've called kind of loosely the decade of supply chain. It just feels like within the enterprise, you know, people have been focusing on sales and marketing and finance, but supply chain is the last vestige of, of where it's going. So every, everything's got to have a little bit of a forecasting view. How, what do you see coming up with your clients in the world in, the, in, in enterprise supply chain over the next few years? I mean, we're at this very interesting, we're kind of crossing the chasm. Digital is obviously getting adopted, but we're still in the very early days, which is weird to say in 2021 that enterprise supply chain still kind of early adopters with technology. What do you see over the next three to five years as sort of some of the big themes or trends within supply chain and, and, and maybe specifically technology? Yeah. And, and maybe let's, let, let's start with indeed looking at the, at the last year at, uh, at, at COVID, because COVID um, was um, an accelerator of uh, all supply chain topics. Um, so um, companies who, who did prepare their processes, did plan end-to-end, -end, had a good uh, backbone, um, for them it was no problem to send their planners home and work from home. Others right. were still on weekly MRP runs, uh, EXO and so on. Um, they even had to go to the, to the receiving area and to see, hey, what's my inventory, right? So I just don't know. So right. that 
gave a boost of, hey, we need to do something. Right? Yep. So, um, and they, they understood that the just-in-time culture is, is maybe um, efficient, but not resilient. So this resilience topic is, is up. And um, this is something that I see clearly as a trend. Companies look into resilience and uh, talk more about just um, at the right time, but not um, um, as fast as possible. Right. Mm. Um, inventory is evaluated differently. It's not that we now kind of build inventory like crazy. That also doesn't make sense. Mm. But it's also evaluated in terms of resilience. And agility is super important. And what we saw is that the company is kind of switching from a monthly SNOP to a weekly SNOP, where you can clearly not take all the decisions, but you're more on 80-20. But mm -hmm. still, you are kind of um, directionally right. That helped mm -hmm. them a lot to navigate the crisis. Mm -hmm. So what we will see going forward is um, this will continue. So we will be more agile. We will see more higher frequency of planning cycles. We will see more, um, more digital um, backbone infrastructure. Um, all the software companies, they did um, have a very good year last year. Right? Yeah, because right. companies saw that, hey, we, we need to invest. We need to make sure that we get our IT systems ready. We will see that um, supply chain makes it um, more to the board. Um, we had one client where they said, hey, because we managed the crisis so well, we did have a scenario planning approach and everything in place. Now even our CEO talks supply chain. That never happened before. Wow. Right? So this this will continue. And then we will clearly see um, topics we discussed earlier, sustainability, um, the circular economy, um, that yep. will um, continue. And what I expect is that there's still a lot of companies um, out there that are not yet digital to a certain right. extent. So here we will see, I would say, um, the digital technology will mature a lot. So from yeah. pilot to mature application um, of yeah. planning, of automation and of physical flow. Right. Well, I, I, again, um, spot on, incredible observations. I mean, just an incredible conversation. Like I said, it could go for hours and hours in here, but I do want to be mindful of our time, your time. Um, I'm going to wrap up uh, on there on that note. But, uh, you know, just again, thank you so much for that. And, and just by the way, to, you know, plug for yourself, I know um, you're always open to LinkedIn. That's uh, how we met, uh, you know, meeting people there and thought leaders. Um, but you've also got quite a, a decent publication uh, list. Uh, uh, my recommendation to you is probably to lay it out a little bit more in your publication area because you've got some really good articles in there. Um, but anything you want to steer, you had written a book early on, you know, anything coming out for you uh, that you just want to kind of highlight to people because you're pretty, uh, you know, frequent speaker and author and, and whatnot. So any, anything on the horizon? So stay, stay curious, right? Um, um, build your, your digital capabilities in supply chain. Make sure that you communicate right. Um, uh, indeed, check check my, my my articles on supply chain. So that's uh, um, I always enjoy um, this. I enjoy teaching um, our our reports of the McKinsey Global Institute. And um, and thanks for having me. It, uh, yeah. I enjoy the discussion a lot. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Request platform at supplychain.request.com. Request allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.request.com.